Hey everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, and it has been a long time since my last episode, all the way back to April. I, uh, I do apologize for taking such a long break. It wasn't part of my original plans, but uh, as the season wrapped up um, and summer started, I started playing sports four times a week which was quite a lot to balance with a full-time work schedule. So not only was finding time for just myself to record like it is today, um, but I also found it hard and almost impossible actually to try and time when uh, to get a guest on as well because the hours were just so limited. So I do apologize, but I figured what better time than now to jump back into it, recap what has been an absolutely hectic offseason for the Ottawa Senators. Um, It's almost hard to pick a spot where we should start because so much has uh, happened this offseason. But I think the overall biggest news just for the franchise in general is that they have a new owner. The Melnick Estate did sell to Michael Andlar. Uh, The Melnick Estate is still minority owners in the Ottawa Senators, uh, but Andlar's coming in. Uh, Everything else basically has stayed the same from a front office perspective in terms of the head coach and GM, obviously Pierre Dorian is coming back as well. We thought maybe there could be changes, maybe not. DJ Smith obviously is still around too, so those two are still part of it. Uh, It sounds like the analytics department is going to get a bit of a boost, uh, which is really encouraging, I think. And so far, I would say basically everything that uh, the Sens have done under the Anlar administration, if you will, um, has been a a good positive sign going forward in terms of long-term building for the future, you know, you can definitely nitpick moves here and there, but one thing's clear is that they are out and they are spending money and trying to improve this team, which is just super encouraging. So, um, yeah, that's definitely the biggest news of the offseason from, I think, a, a total franchise perspective. Um, but there was also plenty of news uh, that arrived from the roster perspective as well. And uh, let's start with maybe the... I don't know if the neg- negative is probably the right word, I guess, and that is Alex Dabrinkit on his way out to the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, definitely a disappointing move to see made. I, I don't I don't blame Pierre Dorian. It was clear that uh, Dabrinkit kind of forced their hand on this one and, and by all accounts did not want to be a part of the Ottawa Senators going forward. So it was a move that definitely had to be made. And to be completely honest, I know there has been much debate and people kind of revisiting the original trade from the Blackhawks and and calling it a bit of a disaster. And I still don't see it that way. I I will defend the original trade uh, that they made until I die. Basically. I think that was the right move to make. They tried to get a young guy who could come in young being um, relative term, obviously like he fit with the core's age. He had a 50 goal season or 40 goal season in his pocket already. Uh, you know he had lots of talent and things just didn't click, unfortunately. And I don't think he had a disastrous season, but he all, he definitely didn't have a great season or even really good season by his standards. It was just okay, I think is the best way uh, to describe it. So they get Dominic Kubalik, who has one year at $2.5 million left on his contract. Uh, Donovan Sabrango, who is a uh, prospect who... Not a high-end prospect by any means, but could be an NHL at some point. A 2024 first-round pick that is conditional, and that condition is Detroit has the option to send their own or Boston's 2024 first-round pick uh, in the event that uh, Boston's 2024 first-round pick is a top-10 pick. Boston can retain and transfer 2025 instead. So Detroit will then have the option of sending Boston's 2025 unprotected or their own 2024 first. So uh, a lot of... uh, 
a lot of condition on that, but basically it is the lower of the first round pick of Detroit or Boston's. If Boston's is top 10 protected, it might be a 2025 first. And then a fourth round pick that comes uh, back the other way as well. So definitely a little disappointing. Uh, you would have to assume that between Detroit and Boston, you know, obviously Boston's probably, well, they are going to take a step back. They're not repeating the best season in NHL history or regular season, I should say anyways. Um, but you would still think that if Detroit is, say, I don't know, I see them kind of a little behind Ottawa, so outside the playoff bubble. Let's say Detroit's pick is like ninth or 10th overall. I would still think Boston's is going to be like 17th or 18th probably at worst. And maybe it's 10, 11, 12, that range. But it's still not, I believe Ottawa gave up seven forward brankets. So that's definitely disappointing. Um, but again, I still think the move originally made complete sense to make. You were trying to boost your team for the playoffs. And yes, you knew that this was a risk that you weren't going to be able to resign to Brinkett. Uh, definitely a risk when you trade for a guy who's only got one year left on his contract. But this is exactly why they were okay with it, because it's not like they lose him for nothing. Yes, the value isn't great, but a 2024 first and a fourth and Kubalik, who will be some value this year, you know, he's definitely not... Uh, going to be what Alex Dabrinkit is, but he will add some much-needed depth for this team. Uh, you know, it, it's not nothing, and I still absolutely respect the swing from Pierre Dorian, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how Dabrinkit does in Detroit. I assume he will get pretty heavily booed on his way back from Ottawa. It's not like he trashed the organization or city or anything like that on his way out, but he did make it pretty clear this offseason he did not plan to be here long-term, which is his right, but it is also obviously the fans' right to boo him relentlessly. So, um, yeah, that, that's probably the, the biggest move, I would say, on the ice that they made uh, and definitely the, the biggest difference in the roster this year. But there are definitely some other sizable moves that they have made as well. So uh, let's get into those two. Um, I will, we'll start up front, and Vladimir Tarasenko is the... Big name uh, signing that they bring in uh, this year on a one-year deal, which I absolutely do not mind. And uh, obviously, they brought in Giroux last offseason. That went, like, literally as well as you could have ever hoped. Like, I genuinely don't know if there was a better deal in free agent history that Ottawa's made. Uh, this year, this is a one-year deal at $5 million for Tarasenko. I love this move as a... Debrinket replacement, I think, between Tarasenko and Kubalik. Uh, they will probably replace the value that Debrinket has. I still think Debrinket has more upside, but I really love this Tarasenko signing. It gives them another weapon in the top six, and he hasn't looked like prime Tarasenko for a couple years, but I do think with a healthy offseason and him actually being able to rest and recover this year, I, I think there is some in there. I didn't mind him on the Rangers last year. I thought getting him and Kane was overkill. I, I didn't love what Patrick Kane brought to the team, but in, in terms of Tarasenko, I, I don't think he's going to be like a 40 goal scorer or anything like that. I think that's unrealistic to expect. However, if Tarasenko can chip in 25 goals and 60 something points like I think that is very reasonable to expect uh, and that would be a huge um, replacement for Debrinket for for something that you didn't have to give up assets for so you know even in a what I would consider a down year very down year for him last year between the Rangers and Blues he played uh, 69 games very nice he had 18 goals and an additional 32 assists for 50 points right on the nose um, again and this was like one of the worst years we've seen from him in a long time. So 
I think if he can stay healthy, I, I really don't see why 25 goals and 60, 65 points is out of the question, you know, especially it'll depend where he's playing. If he plays first power play or second, I'm not really sure. Um, but again, with the, the added depth, I think that's going to help as well. Just the year before, he had 34 goals and 48 assists for 82 points in 75 games. Uh, I just, you know, I, I really think that this is a pretty high upside signing and Hey, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You know, like it's a one-year deal. There's absolutely no risk of this signing. And I, uh, I I think this was a great move by Pierre Dorian to try and take a step down or replace some of what they lost with the Debrinket trade. And again, between him and Dominic Kubelik, who I'm not expecting much. I think Kubelik will be a good third liner, a great fourth liner maybe if you... Uh, if you bump him down there, like last year he had with the Red Wings uh, 45 points in 81 games, uh, and he had 32 and 78 and 38 and 56, 46 and 68, the, the three previous years. So he's a 40-ish point player. I Again, I think that is tremendous value between the two, and it's going to give Ottawa some much-needed depth this year um, and make their forward core very intriguing. So, uh, yeah, love the, the Tarasenko move. The Debrinkit move, I, I guess I'll give a... A C plus two C, like they were in a pretty tough, tough position. So I, I don't really blame Dorian, but at the same time, like you can't look at them rank it and be like, yeah, that was a great move. You know, so, some people are in terms of just pure what they got. Again, I don't blame them for taking the swing, but if we're looking just value in value out with that trade alone, it's tough to rank in anything above like a B minus C plus kind of thing. Um, if you want to say that the cap space they have allowed them to go get Tarasenko for a year as well, maybe you bump it up a little bit. But the the Tarasenko signing, I'm going to give an A. Absolutely love it. There's no term. There's no risk. Uh, it's, you know, it's a low risk, high reward kind of thing. So absolutely love that. Um, they still need to sign both Shane Pinto and uh, Igor Sokolov. Uh, that'll put them at 12 forwards for the roster. Uh, that does not include Ridley Gregg as well, so it'll be interesting to see how he mixes in and if there's anyone from camp as well. Um, but I, I don't think Shane Pinto or Sokolov will be really much of an issue. Uh, they do only have 900K in cap space, though, so that's going to be the bigger issue, I think, is just working them through it. Um, I... I don't know. I, I I don't think it'll be a massive issue. You have Parker Kelly on the roster too. I'm sure they don't want to lose him, but like Zach McEwen or Parker Kelly are definitely a guy. Marcus Stelic is another one where all three of those guys, if you need to do a paper transaction to get them on waivers for a day or whatever, probably not the end of the world if I'm being completely honest. Um, on the blue line, I'm glad I'm recording this now and not a couple days ago because Jake Sanderson, to me anyway, seemingly out of nowhere here, um, Signs an extension, eight years, just over $8 million per year. Uh, 8050 is the official um, cap hit here. I, I love this bet. I absolutely love this bet. Um, I, I will say, I, I think there is probably a little more risk to this deal than some Suns fans want to admit. Uh, the overwhelming response I think I saw on Twitter was Sens fans love this deal. Uh, absolutely loved it. You know, Jake Sanderson's future number one D, no questions asked. This is perfect. Lock him up uh, right now for eight years. Um, you know, nine years too, because he's on an ELC still this year. And I don't, I lean that side more than the other side, which was more of a casual hockey fan that sees someone who, let's be honest, like Jake Sanderson was a fifth overall pick, but if you cheer for the St. Louis Blues or whatever, you're probably not watching a ton of Ottawa games and you might not have heard of a guy who, uh, has only played 77 career games. You, know, you look at it and go, a 
guy who's played 77 career games just got $64 million? What are we doing here? Um, I think that's a bit of an uninformed take. I, I do think there is a little bit of risk. Like, uh, the, the one thing that I can kind of get behind is I do wonder... So Ottawa plays the year out here, lets him play out his last year of his ELC. Let's say he does... I, I think he will take the hard defensive minutes here. Let's say he does that. He looks really good in it. He looks like a number one D. You know, let, let's say he's like the 30th best defenseman in the league or whatever. And doubles is not, maybe not doubles. I, I got to check how many points he had last year. But let's say he puts up like 35, 40 points. Um, he had 32 last year. So let's say he puts up 50 points because he just had, he just absolutely exploded. Is the price tag going to be too much more than eight by eight is my only question. And, and maybe they felt it would be like maybe... They feel like if they give him number one minutes and, you know, he has 50, 55 points or whatever, he goes, I want $10 million, just like Rasmus Dahlin down the road. And they just didn't want to risk that. So on that hand, I, I do understand it, but I, I can kind of understand the lot or the, the question at least of how much higher was this really going to get? That being said, I have not had this much confidence in a player working out than Jake Sanders in a long, long, long time. Like, Brady Kachuk was kind of like this, but even Brady, I wasn't really sure what his ceiling was going to be. I knew he was going to be an extremely high floor player. Tim Stutzla, I feel just as confident now, and I, they are the same age, but Stutzla came in a year earlier, obviously, so it feels a little different. But Tim Stutzla is the exact same way where it's like, I know he's going to be a star. I'm not worried about it at all. Um, but yeah, Jake Sanderson, after just watching him for 77 games, like after Stutzla's first 77, I was very encouraged. Don't get me wrong, but I wasn't like, it is slam dunk that this guy is going to be a crucial, crucial part of this team. You had to assume he had to be, but I'm like, there is an avenue where this maybe doesn't work out as well. I would just be so shocked if Jake Sanderson is not a reliable top pair defenseman for the entirety of this contract, basically. It, 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 it takes him until he's about 30 years old, which is absolutely perfect for the Ottawa Senators. You now have your core locked in as well. Like, I just, I, I love every bit of this deal. Um, you know, there obviously is a little bit of risk, as there is going to be with any eight-year deal. But the thing I kind of think is, like, how many years have we gone... Teams need to stop giving eight-year deals to guys who are 28 and older and wasting their money in free agency and stuff. Well... The answer to that is by giving someone who's 21 and you're expecting to be the core of your team an eight-year deal. And yes, that's going to cost some money. You know, obviously there's there's the rare time where you can get a, a contract that looks like an absolute steal. And honestly, I would argue they've already done that with Tim Stutzla. You know, like $8.35 million as of this year is going to be a steal for Tim Stutzla. Um, you know, obviously it would have been awesome if they could have got an eight-year deal at $6 million or whatever. That That's just not realistic in the, in the way this stuff's going. So, um, yeah, another great move. I'm going to give it an A-, minus. I guess. I, I could be talked into an A as well for the Jake Sanderson extension. Absolutely excited to see uh, where this goes. And it kind of rounds out their decor going forward, you know, for the next two years at least. They're going to have Thomas Shabbat, Jacob Chitron, Artem Zub, and Jake Sanderson. And then I guess Travis Hamnick is also under contract. JBD looks like he probably should make his way onto this defense core. And then kind of where, where they fit in might be a guy like Tyler Clevin, Lassie Thompson as well. I would assume, um, you know, like Clevin, I, I think it'll be good for him to start in the AHL, but... It, I could see him working his way up to the main roster as maybe, especially if someone gets hurt by the end of the year. Um, and then Eric Branstrom's another name they brought back, somewhat surprisingly in my opinion. Um, $2 million, one-year deal. I still wonder if a move's going to be made, especially because they don't, excuse me, really have the 
cap space right now for Shane Pinto and Igor Sokolov. Uh, and, and maybe Sokolov's not as big of an issue for them, but Pinto's going to be on this roster. They need to sign him. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of wonder if a move with Branstrom's going to be made, and now at least teams know he'll be making $2 million. But if they do plan on keeping him this year, I'm, I'm totally okay with that. I, I really, really, really enjoy how this defense core could be shaping up if they uh, do keep everyone around. You know, uh, something like Shabbat Zub, Sanderson, Chitrin, maybe you go Shabbat, Chitrin, and then Zub and Sanderson as your quote-unquote shutdown pair, and then Branstrom, JBD as your third pair with Travis Hamnick rotating in there as the, the seventh guy for some veteran support or whatever. Like, Eric Branstrom is the perfect third pair defenseman. I, I really hope that, you know, he is in their long-term plans. If the money works, obviously, you can't be paying uh, third pair defensemen too much for too long. Um even $2 million, I think, after this year when, you know, Sanderson's $8 million kicks in so he gets a $7 million raise. I think we will see probably them look to go with their bottom pair making $2 million combined between the two players, you know. And JBD's 805 cap hit is absolutely perfect for that. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the defense core shapes up. But a couple moves there for sure this offseason. And then another really big move. We were wondering what they were going to do in net. Anton Forsberg apparently is very like is healthy and ready for the start of the season after his freak double knee injury which is super encouraging to hear i really hope that he's not changed after the knee injury i, I can't imagine how he wouldn't be but hey nhl players are um they're, they're machines so forsberg has been one of the most underrated senators for the past two years in my opinion like he, he just he's been very very solid he hasn't you know there was a couple times where maybe he stole games and he's not going to be like a top five top 10 goalie or anything but a 917 in 46 games uh two years ago and then a 902 in 28 games he had a rough start last year but he really rebounded still 326 goal against average like he was just he's the perfect 1a 1b kind of guy i think he fits perfectly as a 1b in the tandem and to shore up that tandem they bring in Jonas corpusalo five-year deal at four million dollars per I won't lie, I don't love this move. I really don't. I, I I totally understand that they felt like they had to do something in net. But if I'm being completely honest, this is a lot of money for a guy who has had a couple good series in his career. And that's about it. Like, And that's going to sound probably pretty harsh to most people. But like, he's a career 903 goalie, I'm pretty sure. Like, Came in in 31 games and a 920 with Columbus in his rookie year, 15-16. Looked absolutely amazing. Absolutely great. That's awesome. Then a 905 in 14 games the next year. Definitely not as ideal. Um, but, you know, it's also only 14 games. An 897 in 18 games the year after that. Again, only 18 games. But now between the two years, you're at 32 games, which is more than his rookie season. And he's at about a 900 save percentage. 2018-19, um, he's got another 897 in 27 games this time. 2019-20, he, he looks better. 37 games played, 9-11 save percentage. That's kind of, I think, what you got to be hoping for if you're Ottawa. Has an unreal playoffs. Uh, played really well against the Leafs. Uh, stole the, This was in the bubble. Absolutely stole, no, not stole series, but played really well against the Leafs and then had that quadruple or was it five overtimes against Tampa where he made a ton of saves. So his save percentage in nine games was 941 in the playoffs. Following year, 33 games, 894 save percentage, 22 games, 877 save percentage. And then to start last year, he looked really good. 913 save percentage in 28 games, 921 in 11 with LA, super hot. But then an 892 in six playoff games. So I, I just, I don't really know what to make of it. I think he is a decent goalie. Um, I, I think the tandem will clearly be better this year. It's hard to be worse than, no offense to Cam Talbot, than what Cam Talbot showed last year. Um, but, you know, that being said, five 
years at $4 million is a lot for a guy who's already 30. Uh, I'd be very skeptical of how this contract works out. But if we're talking about just this year, the upside is definitely that they should have two goalies where I would expect them to be somewhere in that 13 to 25 range for, for goalies in the NHL. And again, that doesn't sound encouraging, but you know, I think Ottawa's hope is that they're going to have a good enough team this year where if they get 908, 9 to 910 goaltending, somewhere in that area, that's going to be enough to put them right in that playoff hunt. So um, I'm going to give this signing a C. I, I really didn't like it, but you know, if we're talking on one year term, or one year just this year, I think it's going to improve the team a little bit. I'm a little worried about the the long-term ramifications of the deal, though, for sure. So that's the biggest uh, roster moves definitely in the Ottawa Senators offseason. I'm just trying to think if I really, really, really forgot anything. I'm sure there has been stuff that's popped up, but uh, I think overall, like, I'm super excited for this year to get started. I, It's a... Make or break maybe isn't the right word, but I think it is for the management team, a make or break kind of year where I really think playoffs needs to be the goal for this team, which is almost unfortunate in terms of the division they're in. It is a really good division. Like, regardless of what you think of, you know, Boston, I, I they obviously will take a step back. But even if they lost like 40 points off of last year, I'm pretty sure they would still be in a playoff spot, which is just how nuts their, their season was last year. Um, I just, I don't know. It, it's tough. I, I think, you know, the, the, the mentality with how much money this team is now spending, everyone's gotten paid, you know, they have to start making playoffs and, and they have to, you know, start going with it. Yeah, Boston had 135 points last year. If they lost 40 points off of that, that would still put them at 95, which would have put them in the playoffs by three points last year. Like that is just absurd. Um, but again, like Toronto's going to be good again this year. You know, I'm not sure. I don't love, love their offseason, but it wasn't. They, they have a great core still. Like that, that's and they're a regular. Say what you want about the playoffs, they're a great regular season team. Uh, Tampa again, like I think Tampa's getting worse every year, but they're still a 98 point team where they have so much star power. I, I just see it hard to miss. Uh, Florida, who knows what you're going to get with them. I think they're going to be right around the bubble, just like they were last year. And and Buffalo missed by a point last year. I think you know. Buffalo may have, may have overachieved, but Devin Levi's coming in for a full year. You know, if if he performs, I could easily see them putting up 91 points again this year. So, and then Detroit got to bring it. You know, again, I don't love Detroit, but they got to bring it, which Ottawa directly loses. Again, we already talked about Ottawa has replaced him in a way, but Detroit got better, I think, this year too. So it's going to be a very, very tough division, but you have playoffs has to be what the, this, the mentality is for this team. And, you know, obviously it will be, but if they miss, again, if it's by one or two points, maybe some fans give them a pass. If it's by six, seven, eight, like they did last year, it's just unacceptable and something's going to have to change. But, you know, so definitely the most pressure this team has had since 2017, really. Um, it'll be interesting to see how things go. They have a ton of home games to start their season. Like, I'm pretty sure in the first two months they play like 80 or 75% of their games at home or something ridiculous like that. So, you absolutely cannot get off to starts like they have the past four seasons now where they've had like an eight-game losing streak with no points in three seasons in a row for sure going back to the, the COVID-shortened season, which that three or four seasons ago. Like, it's just been disaster start after disaster start. That cannot happen this year. If that happens and they put themselves behind the eight ball, they are screwed and, it, like, something's going to have to change. So, um, you know, that sounds dire, but, let, like, everyone's gotten paid on this team now, you know. 
we were laughing at the Leafs for paying their stars so much four years into their deal. And and this obviously is not near as drastic. You know, uh, no one's making over eight million or eight and a half million dollars on this team, um, where there was three players doing that for Toronto. But you know, it's the same idea of okay, like you know, you're paying for the performance to come, but the performance needs to come now. So. Um, I think it should be a super exciting year. Obviously, there's still going to be a little more to drop. You know, roster changes, Shane Pinto contract. I I would be surprised if Shane Pinto's contract's not like two years at a million and a half dollars or something like that. Maybe a one-year deal, one-year super cheap prove-it deal or something like that. But it'll be a bridge. I would be so shocked if they go six, seven years with him, you know, just with the way the roster's constructed right now. But we'll see. So um, thank you, everyone, so much for joining me and listening to me ramble for 25 minutes. Uh, I am hoping to get back to a podcast every other week, maybe even every seven to ten days or so as the season gets going here. Uh, I want to provide lots of daily con or weekly content for you guys, um, and I will definitely be writing at Last Word on Hockey again this year as well. I'm going to be having the Senator season preview near the end of September, so definitely keep an eye out for that. I'm hoping to have another podcast out before, before I record that. But uh, thank you all so much for the support. I hope you all had a great summer and are just as excited as I am to get hockey going again.